Welcome to Community by Design, celebrating and connecting people and places of the North. I'm Leah Boltz, principal and partner at Bettisworth North, and your host and champion of all things inclusive design for inclusive communities. This is a podcast by Bettisworth North. We are a group of community builders, landscape architects, architects, and interior designers based in Alaska who work in the commercial construction space, working statewide in more than 90 communities. On this episode, we are partnering with the Anchorage Museum and the Seed Lab, My guests today are my friends, landscape architects, fellow Northern community builders, and two of the funnest guys, Johnny Hayes and Mark Kimmerer. We're here celebrating World Landscape Architecture Month. We're hoping to have a conversation today about landscape architecture with two people who come to the table with very different perspectives on the profession. We hope to share the the breadth of landscape architecture. So we have Mark Kimmerer, landscape architect with Bettisworth North and a principal of the firm. He manages landscape design and planning for all kinds of projects across Alaska. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Leah. It's really fun to be here with you and Johnny. And Johnny Hayes is also a landscape architect who serves as the chief design officer at the Anchorage Museum, where he advances exhibits, installations, community projects, and as you put it, Johnny, you just do weird stuff. (laughs) I get to do a lot of weird stuff. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. Glad to have you here. So is there anything else that either of you want to say about yourselves or your unique roles as landscape architects before we get started? This is Johnny. I'll just briefly describe myself for listeners. Middle-aged white guy, brown hair. I came to Alaska as a transplant from Buffalo, New York. And the day I got here was the moment I fell in love. feel pretty privileged to be in my position and be in this community and think of myself as a civil servant, translating ideas through design, using the technical skill set that landscape architects are trained with to advance those sorts of projects inside buildings and outside buildings too. Yeah, and I'm Mark Kimmer. I've got maybe a little different perspective. I've been practicing as a landscape architect for 30 plus years and in the private sector. So I think it's a little different. A lot of the joy I'm finding these days in the profession is seeing folks like Johnny grow and then unfortunately in my case, move on to true passions that bring a lot to bear to the community as a landscape architect. So interesting to see what he's been up to as a part of the museum and the community. And hopefully from the private sector, I've been able to contribute to the community as well as a landscape architect. The full disclosure is that Mark was my first mentor upon my entry-level position upon arriving here too. So many of the skills that I learned were courtesy of his mentorship. I actually want to play off that a little bit and talk about connections because the three of us have some pretty great connections and there's a lot of serendipity that I think happened when we all came together in different ways. So. Yeah, how does we meet, Leah? (laughs) We have met working on Cuddy together. I think it was Johnny and I that were lucky enough to be involved in that project. And Leah was known to me through connections in Montana, where I started my profession. I skied with Leah's dad on then Big Mountain in Montana. Leah's dad was my ski mentor. And years later, I met her in Alaska after I saw her dad darting down the slopes where we connected. So that serendipitous experience is unique and it's pretty special as the years go by. And I think a lot of Alaskans, because there's so many folks that are transplants here, have had a similar experience, which is pretty special and compelling. Yeah, I met Leah. uh, She was a community champion 
one of three mothers were making ways to make our community better. And the project that I was introduced to Leah on was the Cuddy Park Playground, which seemed like lofty ambitions at the time to be an inclusive playground, which means it's a space for people of all generations, but most importantly, all different abilities and sensitivities. And I might ask Leah to sort of define what her ambitions were, but it's inclusive play was the forum in which I was engaged with Leah first. Well, I think it's been really special to have you both as part of that because it never would have happened without people like you and landscape architects like yourselves involved in the actual creating of the thing that has created a movement in Alaska. So those connections are really fun for me. That's one of my favorite things in life is to make connections and the size of Alaska allows you to do those things quite well. It's also one of those states and communities where you have an opportunity to make a difference, whether it's in your profession or whether it's in your personal life and you meet somebody in one place and you start to see them in every other aspect of your lives, which I think was the case for you and I, Mark. We ran into each other and reconnected on the ski hill. And then lo and behold, we were working for each other when I was working for CRW Engineering and then came to work for you at That Is Worth North. And now we're business partners. So that's been an awesome trajectory and connection. And Johnny, when I was working on Cuddy Park, which by the way, was 100% selfishly motivated community work. My daughter was born with a disability, spina bifida. And at the time she was two or three years old and we were at programs for infants and children and your wife Molly was one of Anna's therapists and teachers so there was a really cool connection there too. Going back to the Cuddy Park project that you both have been talking about, because my daughter was born with a disability, I got together with a couple of other moms in town and we were honestly complaining in the beginning about how there was no place for our kids to play. You know, we started thinking about what can we do about this and just by that ability to connect with community and to have people like you guys listening to the needs of the community and listening to the actual people who live here and live in this community every day, we were able to get this inclusive play movement started. And the first project was this boundless playground or this fully accessible playground at Cuddy Park, which has sparked more. And there are now 21 that have been designed, some of them by both of you around the community. And that's just a really special thing to be able to work together to make that kind of a difference in the community. I think what was fascinating and important upon reflection on that project in particular is how many different community members, how many different perspectives were necessary to make it happen. You know, landscape architects in our community also supported the project, even though they weren't on the project team necessarily. They've continued to sort of serve our community with the ethos that was set out in that project phase. Um, and we're all learning from one another as we sort of go along and sharing knowledge in important ways, too. So I think, you know, the community impetus for that project was perhaps a few folks complaining. But I think what comes of that when people vocalize that we can do better and other people understand and value that ambition, it's pretty amazing what can be done. 21 inclusive playgrounds in Anchorage is nothing to shake a stick at, but it takes more than just Mark and I and you uh, to be able to pull that off too. So, yeah, I was really impressed looking back at the collaborations, but what I was impressed by was Leah challenging herself to operate in the arena that she needed to, to raise funds and awareness to make that project happen. Like you said, landscape architects were a, a facet of that whole effort. There were other landscape architects involved, but you know, to bring that together, it really just shows Leah's passion and commitment to her daughter and inclusive play. And the result showed other people a path forward. 
I think in this case, Leah used this as, you know, design as a service, like landscape architects, that's what we get paid to do in many instances. So whether it's a planning project or design and construction project, or even sort of design research, we have our own ideas. We come to things with our own experiences and perspectives and skill sets, but ultimately our goal is to serve clients or ideally communities and clients with communities being the priority for me. But part of what our skill set allows us to do is develop visuals and then basically instruction packets for those things to actually happen. So it's imperative that the community connects with landscape architects so we can do our best. Um, to your point to like challenge us, we thought we were probably doing things right when we were addressing accessibility, but even the federal statutes and regulations that address accessibility don't go far enough. And that's what Leo is communicating. So I think it's also important to think about the spaces that people occupy or and habitate or circulate through. Like how does it serve as many people as we possibly can? And in particular, the underserved, because we can always do better there, right? As a landscape architect too, just to circle back to like what we do, part of our job is engaging with the community. So I feel like we have an unfair advantage in that way. We meet new people on every project. We get to work in all sorts of different neighborhoods along different roadways. We learn about our place because we have to and we're paid to. So it's kind of fun when we get to wield those tools to support the community. I think that's probably why we just stayed because mm -hmm. we love this place and the people that we get to meet. You know, one of the things you said, Johnny, really just resonated with me in terms as a design fan. <laughs> so backing up a little bit, you know, my role is as a principal and one of the owners of Bettesworth North, but I came to it through business development and marketing and communications. So I'm not a landscape architect. I'm not a designer or a technical person, but I have just this huge fangirl appreciation for design and what designers and planners do for us. And you mentioned, or I think you both did, just this bringing people together and seeing different perspectives. And the best designers gather as many perspectives as they possibly can to make the best end result they possibly can. And that, to me, is a very special role that you play as landscape architects from the very beginning, you know, when you, you start with the place and you start with the people. And then you bring all of those different facets together into something that can celebrate those things and, and meet goals. So talk a little bit about how you go about that. The first thing that came to mind as you were saying that, Leah, was at Bettersworth North, our small group of landscape architects there, we went through a vision mission effort. And really what came out of it was the balancing of the human and natural world. So the human world is you know, what we want to build, the realities of how much that might cost and then our desire to bring the environment and nature and how special the outdoors is and our environment is to us and blending them together into a positive result. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it sort of starts with explorations of our space or whatever the project site or region would be. And so, you know, in taking courses in university, botany and water quality monitoring and, you know, landforms and grading and all these things. So there's like a technical component of just understanding what in the heck is going on in a specific space. Architects carry forth with them a similar analysis for a specific site. And so it's, it's Mark's point, it's sort of marrying that level of analyses with then impacts to ecosystems. And by that humans are included in my perspective. 
Maybe we should break it down from the perspective of the American Society of Landscape Architects. That's the organization that supports our profession, and they have six mission areas that maybe if I just roll through those, that might help listeners understand the basics of what landscape architects work with and where we try to place our focus. Yeah. Green infrastructure, which is essentially the treatment of stormwater without using pipes and, and things like that. It's basically absorbing it, treating it into, into the soil. Racial equity, climate action, then transportation for all. So that's multimodal transportation. So when we uh, rebuild a street in our communities, uh, we want it not only to be for vehicles, we want it to be for public transportation and walking and bicycling to have all those opportunities for people to move around their communities is, is really important. There's a lot of great results. Elmore Road in Anchorage is a complete street. And for listeners who don't know, what does complete streets mean? It's multimodal forms of transportation. So it's, it's making sure that people on their feet or on bicycles or any other mode of transportation that's seasonally powered <laughs> wheelchair is accommodated in that cross section, what we call a cross section within the right of way. So, um, safety is another kind of paramount concern when you mix all those together. How's it going to work? How's it going to be safe? stormwater management and where water ends up and what quality uh, the water is when it gets there. And the last on the list would be parks and recreation. So that's a lot to do with access to open space, nature, and then recreation, both for physical health and wellness, but also for social constructs. So where do you meet up with friends? Where do you have a picnic? Where do you walk your dog? And again, those all interface. So there's a lot of the parks in town are part and parcel to our transportation network. We have amazing green belts in Anchorage, sort of multimodal transportation happening in our parks. And then we also have stormwater. We get Chester Creek, Campbell Creek. We have floodways and rehabilitation projects within the ecosystems within parks and as, as well as long roads. More interestingly, it's like, where do they blend? And that, what is that community engagement that made it happen in the case of Cuddy Park? How do community members or listeners advance these sort of projects collaboratively? Uh, how do they enter into them? How do they lead them? How do they benefit from them? Let me ask you this, Johnny. I think you have a really unique perspective as a landscape architect. Worked with you directly for 12 years. So fun, great projects, always a good time. That's we true. did some good things together and you continue, you moved on from private and practice to come to the museum. And I think my impression anyway was it was your deep passion and interest in design and what design can do for the community. So from the perspective of your work at the museum, design week, big events for you, you share a lot through those events. And then, you know, I was thinking about these missionaries we just discussed and, and racial equity. And I'm really impressed by what you've been involved with for indigenous place naming. It's just such a compelling thing to remind people all these projects, we've got our heads wrapped around it in, in 10 different ways. Budgets, what have we been told by stakeholders? You know, how are we going to blend this all together? But to remember that the place and the environment, which is always really special to me, you know, I mentioned, you know, the balance of the human and natural world. That reminder of where it all started and the community and the people who lived here originally makes it very special to me. So when I see a project with an indigenous place naming plaque up on the wall, it really makes me think about that connection to the planet and the past, I guess. Yeah. And present. And present. 
have, have we been good stewards? Those kinds of things come to mind and it makes me want to be a better landscape architect. Why I do. Yeah. I think into Cuddy and sort of the challenge that we can do better. Yeah. Uh, I think it's been a fascinating number of years now uh, in our community in particular. So right now we're recording on the, the land of the Denida peoples, uh, here in Anchorage, the occlusion of Denida in particular. You know, understanding that there was an Alaska, I don't know, long before I came, and then recognizing that there was undue duress, there was challenges and tragedy, uh, you know, a lot of not great things were going on, but the, the communities, the indigenous communities in Alaska still thrive. Uh, they're here now. Uh, they're a part of our future. Uh, they're actively engaged in doing amazing things, sometimes knowingly and a lot of times quietly. And so... Again, it's not my idea uh, to just place naming. I'm not taking any credit for it, but I think as an advocacy tool or as an activist, a design activist in some stretch of the imagination, I've got experience in technical capacity and just understanding of modern bureaucracies of how to get projects done. And so more often than not, my role is supporting ideas of others and seeing how quickly or how cost-effectively or how grandiose we can, we can make them using the skill sets and spaces that are available to us. So I had the great fortune to be working with Aaron Leggett, Sebastian Garber, we, you know, working on exhibitions and things. I work with and interface with amazing artists in Alaska, from Alaska, doing incredible work here and telling stories about the people in place. So for me, it's sort of part of my everyday, just being able to bring my skill set and support these projects. And so I think recognizing how fish in particular and food sources were harvested in our space reminds you that this is a super functional ecosystem and that the road project that we're working on with water quality impacts can change that ecosystem in a really negative way. So I think that level of activism or advocacy happens, whether it's on a place naming project or a neighborhood road project, I think it applies because it's really the values of place and our own individual responsibilities to serve. The reality is, is that the museum is an incredible platform and forum to be able to do that type of work. And then, as I mentioned, a middle-aged white guy, there's times where I'm in meetings that other people aren't represented. And so I feel wonderful when I'm able to say, like, not everybody's here. Like, how do we engage mm -hmm. communities, whether it be a neighborhood project or wherever else? Like, how are we intending to engage? And is that intention, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so I think like, is that tension being executed? Like, are we actually doing what we're saying we're doing? How, do, how can we do better? So that's kind of my role in, in indigenous projects. And I think the Native Heritage Center here in Anchorage is amazing. They do incredible work and I've been a stalwart for making that project happen. The more that we see those sorts of actions again, the better off we are because this place has an amazing history. The lifeways of this place, I think, will lead us into the future. And so it's really imperative that we understand it existed and that more importantly, it exists now. And so how do we engage those members of the community appropriately, effectively, and collaborate? As you were talking, I was thinking what comes to mind when I read the Denina names. Not only is it interesting to take a stab at the language, which is humbling, right? Off air, kind of yeah. very, yeah. Uh, imagine it the other way around. So intriguing, you know, it also creates a connection for me because I think anybody that's been here through a year has a unique experience in life because we experience summer and winter, really. Spring and fall are construction. To break up and wrap up. Yeah. yeah. And what I think it does for me is it, it actually bonds me to that ancient experience because we all go fish every summer. It's important to us 
hunting, fishing, harvesting, and then making it through our winters together and playing during the winter, realizing that we still need to connect and that we need to work hard in the other seasons to make our winters comfortable. Those are all things that come into my head as I think about that. And I think there's a sense of pride when you see those things. Hopefully the community feels that way. I certainly feel that way. Yeah, I uh, agree. When you see a place name, you're connected to it, a deeper history. Um, it elevates the value of the place for you in that exact moment. And then when you read whatever signage incorporates or you find out about projects of the museum or you visit the Native Heritage Center and you understand more about LifeWay's people, their, their existing and thriving communities. And, you know, you see the artworks that young indigenous creators are making and then it is, it'll blow your mind how amazing the work coming out of this place is. And that's just, that, that's good for everyone. Like that's yeah. the, that's our community. Yeah. It just raises the bar when we understand that this place has been valuable to people for millennia. And so now we're a part of that. We're part of that history and we're part of that action. Well, having come from other places that have a different connection and relationship with indigenous peoples, it was really amazing to come here as a transplant. Yeah. And it's it's actually one of the things I appreciate most is that connection and that appreciation and how we're elevating that in our conversations every day. I appreciate you doing a little bit of a land acknowledgement there because that's something that you hear a lot here. Yeah. And it is really special. It's another one of those connection points that I feel like people in the North have that is so special. It keeps me here for sure. Yeah. This place wasn't found. Like just like the Americas weren't right. not discovered. Right. Like they were taken over. It existed. Like, there were people living here right. doing amazing things. So like let's tap into that history and build from there. There's action there and it's pretty amazing when government agencies and private practice and nonprofits all come together. It's pretty cool to see come to fruition of projects. I think one point in all of this is that people who are trying to raise awareness and advocate and create these initiatives or bring forward a community need is that we need people like you to bring all the pieces together. You know, you talked about all the things along the way that you work on and that you do within a project framework. All of that stuff is needed to make something happen and to create that framework and that foundation to make it happen. And, and manage all the other inputs. To like bring so. it all together. Yeah, so there's like a site-based project and the planning-based projects as well. You have the technical expertise to make a project happen, but we're also listening to people who have maybe counterpoints on a yeah. project. Yep. How do you... That fall? doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and important ones, like yeah. their value, their yeah. perspectives. Exactly. And those oftentimes make projects better. Like, yep. Not every time, I would say, but I would, more often than not, like when those counterpoints are made and challenging the design team or the planning team, to consider beyond the immediate, bigger things can happen. And often there's other circumstances where you're teaming with architects for a building program and you know site work. And I get to team with curators. And so I think it becomes like yeah. storytelling and realizing those visions of an artist and you know the inputs are coming from different places, but the, the process for me is still pretty similar to the work I was in private practice. Johnny, I was curious again of your trajectory as a landscape architect at the museum. And the other thing I'm aware of that you put a lot of your energy and effort into is design week. Yeah. Would you be able to share in a, in a nutshell what the goal of design week is? Sure. The overarching reason it exists is so we can celebrate and support designers in our community. I also think it's an amazing place to build new skills, to engage the public audiences or people who are design fans 
to enter into the space of design and understand that they can contribute to projects, that they can activate projects, and that designers are humans too. So it's a really fun event. The summer will have it in August where we bring people together from all different disciplines. Uh, we have sort of CEU continuing education units for people who are licensed. We have learning sessions and workshops, installations so that people can orbit around passively on their own time to understand what designers are capable of or how they can change a space temporarily. Usually we've had a few of the installations actually sort of live a quite a long life, which is fun to see. Um, so really it's a moment in our community to sort of rally around the value of design as it pertains to translating ideas to real projects or you know being a part of the creative sector and and contributing to this community through your expertise or perspective so it's with partners the alaska design forum it's the anchorage museum is sort of uh, the lead and host as a venue we've collaborated with the american institute of architects the as the american society of landscape architects and the alaska chapter has been a an amazing partner. We love to host landscape architects as lecturers and, and project leads as facilitators. Actually, I think landscape architects are among the best facilitators for conversation around design. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this year we're excited to welcome the uh, American Society of Interior Design. And then, of course, there's AIGA Alaska, who's a big stakeholder in design. So that's web design, graphic design. Uh, so you can imagine all of these different perspectives sort of awesome yeah. put in a put in a room to talk about what projects are working on or how they can serve the community in an expanded capacity. You know, one of the things that I think that is most special as I listen to this conversation to me is just the connection for as diverse as your two roles are within landscape architecture field, the connection between those mission areas of ASLA that you mentioned, but also then the mission areas of the museum. And what you're doing is really still part of those really important community and global conversations. These are things we're trying to solve as a worldwide people. Humans. Yeah. Yes, and there there's a, a direct correlation between the strategic initiatives of the museum and the strategic initiatives of ASLA, which sometimes, when you left working for Bedsworth North, people would ask me, I'm like, wow, he went to the museum? What is he doing there as a landscape architect? Yeah. And so it's been really cool to see that trajectory and to see you connect those things and connect those areas. Because some of them are word for word, the same initiatives. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. And leaving practice, it was very difficult to leave Mark Lee and their team. But the reality was that for me, it was to be mission focused and not project focused. Absolutely. And so for, in private practice, at times there are things that you're doing for clients. And so this for me was a way to sort of align those two things like it's, it's no accident that those two things are aligned and i'm at the museum so going from there one component of world landscape architecture month which is why we're here is to inspire the next generation of landscape architects and if you guys haven't done that today i don't know what will um, because there is so much within this profession that you can go into and you can do. So I want to ask you some rapid fire questions a little bit as we wrap up here. Just a few things to sort of spark that inspiration for people who might not have considered this as a career or who are considering it and want to know more. So one question I have for both of you is what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? An architect. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh? And then I learned what architects did. I said, that sounds kind of boring. <laughs> I, I was out, I played in the woods. So designing spaces with ecosystems was more exciting to me than designing spaces with clay. 
That's interesting. What did I want to be when I wanted to grow up? My dad was uh, in the military, so that that was the influence I had on me, and I didn't go that direction. But what Johnny just said uh, reminded me of why I went into landscape architecture, because I found that profession in college after bouncing through a few different options. Mm -hmm. had no idea it existed, honestly, in a graphic design major friend of mine introduced me to it. But it was playing in the woods and that connection and basically a really natural pull between myself and the planet is what influenced me. There's creativity, mm -hmm. there's technical problems to solve, and there's also the influence you have on the ground and plants and animals. Well, I just wanted to be in charge. <laughs> I'm an only child, so that was all I knew, was I was going to be in charge of something, and it, I bounced around a lot, too, so it was a, it was kind of a tough thing. But looking back on it now, it sort of all came together. You know, I was always appreciating architecture and design and loved the outdoors, and then when I was in middle school, I was the first person to try to use 3D AutoCAD to draw some house plans that I had made. Um, there's a reason I don't do architecture now because I did a really poor job, but I appreciate architecture improved. and landscape architecture. Uh, so along with that, my next question is, what do you think is your superpower that allows you to do your best work? You go first this time. Um, I, I guess for me, probably listening and communicating well. Mm -hmm. and Which you do a, very well. <laughs> maybe a hypersensitivity to all the angles, different sides. I can kind of put myself in, in many shoes, especially when I'm listening to people's perspectives. So through that, I think I try to communicate that back in design. And, and I think through good communication, you can foster a, a more positive experience and result while you're uh, figuring out solutions to a, a project or a problem. Yeah, and I know you've been involved in some very complex projects yeah. that serves you very well. Well, I think I like to have fun. <laughs> so between humor as my coping mechanism and just recognizing that life is short and making the best of it, I, I try to approach projects, even if regardless of the challenge, complexity, or sometimes contention, we can still have fun together, right? Fun can happen by yourself, but it's a lot more fun if there's more people engaged in joy. And so I try to approach projects so that people can enter into it and find joy in the outcome, regardless of their perspective. Nice. I would say my superpower is connection, the ability to make connections, and that's what I love most. Yeah, you also push people to be their best. You have that innate ability, you've challenged yourself, and there's really a result there that you like to share with other people. Me sitting here talking on this show is, is an example. But yeah, and I'll, I'll second that with an addition of like, you put people in uncomfortable positions for their own benefit. And so by that, I mean, like it's the challenge, but you learn through discomfort more often than not. Absolutely. So if you were talking to a 10-year-old who is learning about this profession, what would you say is the best thing about being a landscape architect? I have a nine-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old daughter. And I think I'll just reflect on being a dad and suggest that there's the element of creativity and sort of access to people and nature that other professions don't necessarily. I think that's the that's a huge value of landscape being a landscape architect. You have you have artistic license in that sense where you can be creative, contribute with your brain in creative ways, and then you're also thinking about people in place. And so amazing relationships 
I don't talk to the 10 year old about relationships. Well, you can work with cool people. Yeah. And, uh, and be yeah. part of a team, really. Yeah. And you're sometimes a part of complex teams. Sometimes you're part of small teams. That range there is exciting. Nice. Mark, how about you? Very similar. You can be creative and you can help and you can have a lot of fun. And I think a lot of professional architects, engineer, design disciplines may consider themselves somewhat generalist once you get into it. But there's a lot of different directions you can go uh, once you learn the basics. And I feel that allows you to um, follow your passions and contribute with your passions. Uh, if there were any young people interested in landscape architecture out there that are listening, I would encourage you to go to the American Society of Landscape Architects website, asla.org, or our state chapters, which is akasla.org. I would add to that too briefly that the Alaska chapter of ASLA provides scholarships annually yes. to working professionals and people going to study landscape architecture. So. If you're a young person, reach out to Mark and I, Aaliyah, or any SLA member, and we can share more information or pathways that we've taken and found success, or you can share your ideas and where you want to go, and maybe it's affiliated discipline, and then we can help connect you there too. In, in the spirit of Leah, we can help connect. Great. Thank you so much for that. So in my mind, I think, you know, when I look around our city and our world and our broader, vast state of Alaska, I can see that a lot of the spaces that are created by people have the influence of or landscape architecture at the, at the heart of them or the foundation of them. Um, those places that have been carefully planned or carefully considered and those spaces that are our favorites often have you guys at the center of them in some way or shape or yeah. you've helped facilitate those things in some cases even constructed by landscape architects i think you two in particular but also most people in your profession are just true community builders in every sense of the word which is what i really love and aspire to be and I would encourage anybody who's listening to to look around and think about those places that they love, those places that have been created, or your city, your favorite spot in the city, um, or your community, and think about who might have been involved in helping to facilitate you being there and being part of that and having a special experience with that place. And think about those people who had a hand in that. And if you want to make it better, say so. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's been so rewarding and fun this month to get to celebrate World Landscape Architecture and to celebrate landscape architects. I think ASLA sums it up nicely in the mission of Landscape Architecture Month, and that is to celebrate the vital role of landscape architecture in shaping healthy, resilient, and beautiful places for all, and advocate for the profession and inspire the next generation of landscape architects. So again, our listeners can learn more about World Landscape Architecture Month also at asla.org slash WLAM2023. You can also learn more about the great work that Johnny and others are doing at the Anchorage Museum at anchoragemuseum.org and see some of Mark's great work at bettasworthnorth.org. And I want to also thank the museum in particular and the Seed Lab, which is where we're sitting today, for letting us host this podcast here. We're recording here in this great podcast studio as this community space. So thank you, Johnny, for facilitating this and the Denina people for all you've done to bring us here today. 
I'll share my accolades for Bettis Worth North and the work that they do in the community, part of their listening process and design and construction, but also the work that they're doing in the community in support of professionals and individual members. It's pretty amazing what a group of people can do in private practice in the interest of the community. So keep up the great work. Thank you. Community by Design, celebrating and connecting people and places of the North. To all of our listeners and fellow community builders, thank you for joining us.